0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Gabriel is a serial entrepreneur, the CEO and founder at CoinRule, and a mentor at Google. In the interview, Gabriel shares his fascinating journey from childhood tech endeavors to founding his third startup, CoinRule. His dedication to simplicity in design and fostering a culture of teamwork shines through. But he also highlights the challenges like dealing with unexpected employee situations where maintaining high standards and addressing issues head-on are crucial. Hi, Gabriel. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, Sumit. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Why don't you start by sharing a bit about yourself and what is it that keeps you busy these days?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm Gabriel, CEO and co-founder of CoinRules. My career has always been about design and business and adding value to digital products, especially in the fintech space. I come from a pure design background and I moved to business naturally. And this is my third company. Before this time, I was a researcher at MIT and Odyssey University. I also, at the moment, also do some mentorship with Google, startups that take uh, part in Google programs. And also, I do some guest lecturing at the University of Palermo in Sicily, ESADE, and other few universities. I really enjoy to give back uh, to the community, especially on the topics of UX, product design, and also basically designing businesses.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share a little bit more about these aspects, right? Design, business, entrepreneurship. You said this is your third company. Can you share how did you get pulled into entrepreneurship And how do you connect design with that?
1: It was always natural for me, like to have a look at the commercial side together with solving specific user needs. Since I think, since I was a kid, I was always like involved in tech. I remember one of my first job when I was 12, I was buying motherboards, fixing them and reselling them with with a good markup. And I've been always starting businesses just as a necessity. Basically, most of the entrepreneurs I know, they are unemployable right they, they try to work in corporations in companies of a specific size, even with good wages, but they just cannot cope and they always have a side project and that's what happened to me as well. I remember being a contractor in, in, in you know for a few companies, big corporations, innovation labs or banks, and still like working on myDI on on, mm-hmm. the spare t- on spare time. and also like it takes time to actually formulate a vision and also find the right partner. And it turns out you can do all that work while you actually have cash flow coming in from a nine-to-five job. So that's always what I've been trying to do. And and naturally, I I transitioned from being a, a consultant or working for big companies or, or the, the academia at university to uh, building a startup and becoming a proper entrepreneur. The first two startups were very good learning environment for me. One was about building cosmetics and and tech applied to that world. It was a very good organic growth, but I felt there was not really what I call founder market fit. So I voluntarily stopped it. The second one, actually we had a problem with the product. It was a very heavy in terms of infrastructure. It was a payment infrastructure for SMEs and that one was a big obstacle. Also not finding the right team and, and then that's naturally died. And then this is the third one, mm. Coin rule and so far it's going so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and before I come to the startups, I want to talk about what you said—business almost as a necessity. So, was there something in your family or in your culture that pulled you towards doing that at that young age? I mean, what had a big
1: influence on me was my parents. that like a business together, and so we always we were always talking about that basically at home, and mm-hmm. it was a big part of our life. Right, every moment was really. Based on, on that, on that, on the schedule, or on the commitments, on the project we had at work, we were brainstorming idea at home. It was almost like running a combine inside and outside the house, and also the I think also the dynamics between them too, That basically they were both co-founders. It really made me naturally the person who I am, and, and always thinking about the commercial aspect of a venture. That was a big thing, and and I would say. Now, when we, when we started, we have the, the good practice of doing the accounting, the financial almost every week to keep all the book in order, actually really spend time on customer care. Even if now we are, as a founder, we are obviously busy also on the other side of the business. But the idea of looking around the business, analyzing the businesses, see what improve and being intolerant about some part of your business, that I think that I think is the most important aspect and, and behavior you can have. So. I think really when you're intolerant about specific thing that that is in your present, that creates your future. And that being intolerant about that and always having an improving a self-improving mindset, even with your business, it's a key, especially for a fast-growing venture.
0: Yeah. Thank you for uh, adding that uh, background. I think it's uh, so easy to miss. Uh, Many times we are actually taking up skills or lessons from from our background without any formal uh, education. Now you're going to B-Schools, you have your own uh, startup. In fact, the third startup, you're meeting a lot of entrepreneurs and founders. What else do you think that you carry forward? What are some of those key lessons that you have learned? Maybe growing up in a family or continuously talking about business which are either missing or not as emphasized in a traditional education, which should
1: be? I think there are like several aspects to this question. So I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's always a set of values, right? You have a set of values that then you bring in your business, and that basically represent your, the vision that you have of the world. And there was like a high respect that unfortunately died a few years ago. It's a human cartis. Is he it was one of the the probably the the one that invented like a digital art direction uh, with at at uh, at the time when there was flash, and he was in New York, right? And he was saying that by uh, basically designing new technology, social technology. You can quietly change the world because those technology is something that you know gets used uh, probably three four hundred times in a day. That's the amount of interaction you have with any devices. So by changing those interfaces and those new technologies, you actually change the world. And that's what really it's one of my the pillar of my set oh. of values. And that's what really drives also my my kind of my will my leadership approach what drives, hopefully, my team, what I try to convey to my team. And uh, I hope my team really s- see that with our the work we do every day in, in our trading platform as well, teaching, educating people about financial behaviors, they actually see the value. Even having a person changing behaviors 10 times on a, spe- on a specific, the way they manage their portfolio, it means that they can actually down the line then have more commercial power and they can actually then secure a better future for their children. Yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing like, how that impacts your team and what you notice or measure. Uh, so now coming to your vision, can you share a bit more about rule, Like What is it that you're trying to create in the world that's not there already?
1: Yeah. So Coral rule is trying to leveling up the, the, the playing field between big institutions, manipulating the market, speculating on financial markets. And the normals being us, basically, normal people, retail investors, people that have some wealth that needs to be managed. So it turns out that normal people don't have the same technology, so it's not an equal war, we don't have the same weapon to participate in this battle because all the AI automations, all the quant trading, algorithmic trading, all this difficult way to manage your money, all these strategies are actually mostly available to big institutions. So CoinRule actually brings all this technology, this power of automation to normal people. And and we actually educate them. We try to to change their behaviors about how to manage their finances and also to open them like new markets. So we started with the crypto assets, digital currencies, because it was easy for us to enter that world. But now we are moving towards also traditional stocks. So we actually just integrated one broker in the U.S. called Alpaca. We're moving to uh, integrate Robinhood and also Interactive Broker. And the idea is that if tomorrow you want to automate your assets because you think the market, you have some assumption and you want to just put them in place, you don't need to go to any uh, financial advisors, any bank, or build your own in-house tech team to actually build this automation. You can just take an off-the-shelf product like CoinRule and you can build if you click your automation. You can say something like uh, if Apple stock goes down 3%, buy Tesla stock given this at this price given certain conditions then you press play and this machine goes on the market and start managing your funds so it's as easy as that we don't really have big focus on simplicity in really explaining everything also the jargon is not much jargon on the app because it's actually finance is not really a rocket science if you actually analyze each single single like trades and strategy you can see that's really Something that can be explained in few in words in English. So for example, even concepts like stop loss, that's something very common in, in trading. We actually don't call it like that. We actually explain this is a way you can stop your losses when the market is crashing. So set up a limit, a down, downwards limit, so that you can protect your funds. And we do a lot of those teach, the teaching. and We have a lot of these snippets of, of knowledge across the app. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I, I think also how you
0: do it, I think what you already shared, about uh, those simple changes and behaviors changes. I think that focus on language is, is, I think another representation of that. So thank you for that. But at the same time, this seems like a huge vision and also uh, like a vision which is not going to be fulfilled in the the next few years, right? This is like a huge long-term vision as well. What do you see are some of the the challenges or or the opportunities that you must uh, be careful about or capitalize on in the next few years?
1: There are a lot of opportunities, a lot of obstacles, right? But I see them mostly as opportunities. If you think about like crypto being regulated, I'm a big advocate of that. I love the governments getting more involved, actually bring clarity to what are the, the legal frameworks, the laws about crypto assets, self custodial wallets, abstraction of wallets, transactions, et cetera, et cetera. All these like basically modules that are basically being created in the DeFi space. And the, because that's what ultimately turns, uh, out as a protection for the consumers, right? And wider adoption as well. So we are all waiting for like better and lows Obviously, almost uh, the biggest governments they've already implemented some sort of frameworks, but it's really very very slow. So we are still like it's really trial and error at, at the moment. So that that those are the big opportunities when expanding in new markets, new digital assets. There is obviously the machine learning models being trained, like a uh, GPT, that big impact also on our trading and how we present the strategies to the market basically. And and that's going to be also a big element. The only thing is that GPT is deadly scary because it can really lie straight in your face and they are like, and, and we have, it happens a lot with us when we use some data points, some data sets from BART or from GPT or other models, they just give like the incorrect data. And, and then, that. so there's always, it's almost like there's going to be now an ecosystem of machine learning models being produced. They will double check on each other. There will be a war of basically artificial intelligences going on. And what scares me is that the lord of AI, Sam Altman and all the other founders, they need to be really the judges and the one, the people, the middlemen, kind of managing all these models. And then we will have a moment where probably there will be aggregation, right? So there is always, it's always the typical cycle of new products. You first have a few players, then they aggregate, and then there are two, three big monopolies coming out of that.
0: Mm. Yeah. And coming back to you as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, what do you think are your biggest challenges or growth opportunities in the future? How is your role changing or has changed even with the third startup? How do you see that differently?
1: Yeah, no, my role is very particular because being a designer and being the CEO of a company, it's like when you see a, a, a rock band and the drummer is also like the, the singer. basically. I'm so close to the user needs. with do a lot of user research and we translate that in design. And at the same time, I need to drive the, the business dev and the growth. Uh, so for me, that's actually the main challenge to extend my expertise from the pixel to the actual vision. That, that mm. that's what what I have to do basically daily, and it's very tiring. And sometimes it doesn't allow you to actually innovate in the micro setup of design and, and wireframing and actually talking about customer journey and the blue mapping. So that that's one challenge. And also another thing that I think the job of a CEO in a startup, uh, it's actually to over-communicate, right? To so over-communicate the strategy, the mission, the vision, because obviously the team uh, can, can read your mind. So I think that element of communication really resonates with me. I try to be pedantic, literally, basically, and to have, have different uh, communication approaches with each member of the team because ultimately having them uh, rowing in the same direction, that, that's what you want. And sometimes that also involves actually taking things off the plate. We're always about talking about doing more, produce more, but actually, if you have too many things on your plate on your roadmap, it actually it allows people to hide beyond specific specific objectives or specific goals that you have when there is actually only few things and the team is all like working on that, there is no way to hide and and people start to kind of almost like in a network in a network like dynamics they 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 collaborate with each other and they check on each other and they make each other more more productive I think. Having that network effect around one specific focused objective is that what you will want in a startup Mm. because that's what really brings the the actual concept of synergy of one plus one is three because the energy starts flowing across the hub of the network, across the people Mm -hmm. much, much faster. And you can see the cloud of energy actually moving, propelling the company forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I I noticed two things, right? One is that uh, ability or the need to zoom in and zoom out and you said, it can be very tiring as well, emotionally, also mentally. And the second is tailoring your communication to the person that you're talking to. At the same time, maintaining that everybody is focused. So how do you manage that energy? How do you manage yourself to be able to deal with all of these different dynamics and still be able to steer the startup in a particular direction?
1: Yeah, so dissolving yourself in the team in the moments where you need to let the team flow, it's like hard in the moment then especially when then you need to get all the team back and steal the wheel and bring them somewhere else. So I always tell my guys, like when you join a company, you join a team first and then you join as an engineer. And that's a concept that it's very important because the they, they actually need to have space to accommodate everyone's kind of style of work. And at the same time, we have to actually double check, especially when we recruit. We now have a huge effort on recruiting. But we especially, most of the question are about the style of work. So when do you, at what time do you wake up? We are a remote company, so we need to understand if you work in a remote company, what do you expect from your first day to be like? What do you expect your colleagues to talk to you? How and which mm-hmm. style do you prefer to, to people to approach you? With? And there's a lot of, of different questions. And I think the style of work, the of matching people in a team is the most important element that really determines the success of your experience with that specific team. And, and part of like my job as a CEO is to dissolve myself in the team, but also make sure that this part are actually Mm. then at the same time, part of the same nucleus or team, but also they are separated when they actually, they need to be steered. It's like someone, I I think Ben was saying something like that the glue that brings the people together, that's actually the culture of a company, right? Mm. And that's basically the glue that holds them together when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, they all turn to for the culture and the value that you transmitted to them. Uh, and that's you know, what you really want to achieve. Oh,
0: I, I love that. I love that, that how you focus on the team and not just on the individual job description or the individual accountability or the bonus rewards, all of that. But the first thing is that you are a part of a team before you are your role, before you are a software engineer or whatever. And especially in a remote setting, I think that can be so easy to miss out on, and you gave a perfect example of how you deliberately ask those questions to make sure that people understand that they're joining a team or company and not just by getting a job. So thank you for,
1: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, we, we also, now we have a starter park and one of the slides is literally, it's divided in two parts and there's like, what is cool, what is not cool. So mm-hmm. really to make clear also about, they talk also about managing side projects right? Everyone inside side projects. It's amazing. We actually love that. And it's like, what's cool having a side project that takes 12 hours a week, that's okay. Or actually 40 hours a week. And then it can affect also your full-time job. So these are kind of lines and, and that you have to really explicitly make it clear to everyone, especially when they are from different cultures and across the world in a remote setup.
0: Absolutely. And I talk to a lot of founders. I talk to a lot of small entrepreneurs. And I think what I am seeing is, is you are deliberate, even at a very early stage of your company or with a very small team also. And I think that is often missing, which creates problems or challenges as an organization later on, when you start to scale, when you start to, when your team starts to grow into their 20s, 30s, 50s, and beyond that. And I think you are, you are deliberately focusing on that much earlier, which will serve you well in the future as well. So thank you for like, caring for that and then taking action on that. Also, as we begin to wrap this up, can you share something about you, which most people are not aware of?
1: Tell me about me. Okay. It's something like very interesting that I play underwater hockey. Mm. So it's, a, it's a sport that uh, was born in the US. I started when I was at MIT. Basically, got dragged by a friend of mine. I was like, yeah, tonight you come with me in a place. It was a surprise. I, I like swimming, but I get a bit bored of going up and down the lanes. This sport is amazing. It's basically, you are all geared up with your snorkeling equipment. It's five versus five. There are goals under the water and there's a park and there's a stick. And then basically you go up and down the water mm. and, and then you basically you have scores and it's an amazing sport. So underwater, okay, it's amazing. And then when I moved back to the UK, I was looking for a team and I couldn't find it. I was like, why does it exist? It turns out in the UK, they call it Octopush. Of, like typical British, they change names. And then I joined the team at Imperial College, and I we also won some minor tournaments versus against the other universities. So it was a lot of fun. Now I have not played for the you know, at least a couple of years, but I'm looking to go back because it's a lot of fun. Well,
0: thank you for sharing that. I think that looks quite intensive, both physically as well as like emotionally. It's good for the lungs. Yeah, yeah. good for the lungs, lungs a lot. Yeah, yeah. Does that leave you
1: with something which makes you a better entrepreneur, better uh-huh. leader? To be honest, I, I love like team sports and it just makes me happy because I'm an extrovert. I just, I like, get energized. And then on the other side, I also, I'm obsessed with the tennis, right? And that's more like mental for me, like more like mm-hmm. I'm more like within myself, more psychological. You're there in your core, in your core. You think about strategies, you think about actions, you think about on the other side, your opponent. That's something that really, to me, substitute the meditation. So I, I try always to do a team sport and, and an individual sport at the same time. And that it's basically exactly what we were talking before. So it makes me basically, in a team sport, it makes me let it go, become part of, of, of a film on a bigger thing and let the flow go by itself and playing around that a bit like surfing. And then on the other side, tennis, it's actually all about control and having a conscious decision about where you want to go and what you want to do. So it's basically that 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 I bring the two this, those two behaviors also in my work. So it's amazing.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. I think you used the word meditation and I think sports, especially anything which requires a lot from you physically or emotionally, can also train you for business, right? Because in a startup world, you have uh, a lot of changes happening all the time. So you never know what surprises you're going to get.
1: Yeah, uh, and we actually... Yeah, Yeah. we actually had a big surprise last week. I really want to talk about it. I just discovered this new movement called the Overemployed. It's Mm -hmm. one of these dark side of of work culture that uh, basically engineers getting two, three jobs at the same time. We found out one of our engineers was having three jobs and potentially is having probably a, a couple of juniors working with him because it was really impossible to work for three companies. So we had to coordinate with the other companies over with the other founders over LinkedIn. One company was in Canada, the other one was also in the UK. To actually let this guy go at the same time, so not to create any disruption or any damage to any of the companies. But that really was a bit shocking for the team. It was difficult to manage mm-hmm. because we trusted this person. He was a QA, QA engineer, and it just it was not respected at all. And this is one of the things that happens. And I think after a few years of entrepreneurship, having a common, you learn. You have, a th- you have a thick skin. You learn how to basically like ignore those bad feelings that come Mm -hmm. from those situations, but that's something definitely that I was not like expecting. And also this is one of the things that I would have really taken badly, maybe at the beginning of my journey. Mm. Yeah. Also because as as a company, as a culture, you want to set standards, right? And and then you also need to react to those behaviors and show the others that this is not right. Because whenever you don't do this, these, basically you, you don't show... You don't show the, the, the bad behaviors to actually distinguish the black from the white, then the company culture gets affected and then mm-hmm. you set up, set up a new standard that's lower than the one year before. So any action you don't take, anything that you don't declare or like you make explicit, becomes again a new culture become a new standard for your company and that I to make sure in that case to to be very clear, very also rough because there's no other way to to actually act in that situation. Towards the others, yeah, that was one of the last surprise I had last week.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that uh, specific example. I think what I'm listening is that you were not only able to act on that, right, keeping uh, your standards to the company, keeping to the bigger commitment that you have as a CEO, but you were also able to behave or act in a way that was mature, right? That was not just lashing out uh, in that surprise that you got, and also do it in a way that internally for yourself you are happy about it. You're calm or composed about it but not like dealing with uh, guilt or like some kind of negative turmoil inside because of the incident so that that's
1: wonderful and that's the beauty also to do the right thing right we always try to do the right thing and so that you don't have any any baggage or anything uh, i really i like my time when i was uh close to the buddhism and having that that right approach every time makes you really peaceful and good with yourself right. and with the others right and then when something bad happened and you know that is wrong, then you can take easily action because you have nothing to hide. And this was the case. He said, guys, this is, no, this is not acceptable in a very calm way. If you do this, you just go. And also, I don't want to take the legal action or stuff like that. So this is this. And the common, I'm, I'm like mostly the bad cop. My co-founder is the good cop. So we complement each other very well in that sense.
0: Absolutely. I, th- I think there is no difficult conversation if you can come from that like groundedness. And also being very clear on what your values are, what are you standing for? And then simply, as a matter of fact, communicating that. So, thank you for that uh, wonderful example. We're going to wrap this up, uh, Gabriel. But I think what I want to do as we wrap it up is to, like, right, we ask you for anybody who is listening, who wants to reach out or find out more. I think what I got really impressed by, not just what you're doing and how you're doing it, but the person behind it, but the values behind it. So, you mentioned the sports, the meditation, Buddhism. There's a lot of of it what goes behind running a startup which uh, is normally not visible and I think we got a glimpse on that For so anybody who's listening who might want to understand a bit more about either what you're doing externally or how you're doing it internally what is the best way for them to reach out to you
1: yeah so they can reach out on social uh, channels my tag is is Fresh freshmuse or they can just send me an email gab at Mm coinrule.com perfect thank you
0: Gabriel for sharing what you shared and I would I want to wish you all the best for that wonderful journey of entrepreneurship that is always filled up with surprises. But there's also, as you said, there's a lot to give back. There's a lot to contribute. And it's also very meaningful. So I want to wish you best for everything that lies ahead. of you. Perfect.
1: Thank you very much and thank you for having me. Thank you, Sumit. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, Please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast and I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show And it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.